Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Hub Today Presents Mom to Mom. I'm Maria Sansone. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. You know, if there is one word that pops up on this show and among my real life mamas, it is overwhelm. I hear that all the time. So if you feel torn between your responsibilities at home and at work, you are not alone. And my guest today has the tools that you are going to want to add to your toolbox. Yael Schonbrunn is the new author of Work, Parent, Thrive, 12 Science-Backed Strategies to Ditch Guilt, Manage Overwhelm, and Grow Connection when everything feels like too much, and it always feels like too much. She is a licensed clinical psychologist, an assistant professor at Brown, and a mom of three. Welcome to the show. It is so good Thank to you have so you much here. for having me. Thank you for having me. It's such a delight. I'm so glad you wrote this book because like I said, doing this show now for almost three years and just in my mom's circles, the thing that I hear the most, the buzzword is overwhelm. And then overwhelm kind of leads to a series of all kinds of behaviors in our lives that make us feel not great when we go to bed at the end of the day. Um, so what was it that made you want to write this book? Well, I was overwhelmed when I became a working parent. And like many authors, I wrote the book that I really wanted to read. So when I first became a working parent, I really was struggling with overwhelm and feeling not enough. And I really wanted something optimistic that would allow me to make a better life using the resources that I already had. And what I found in the bookstore actually felt pretty bleak, mostly pointing to that our society, our marriages, our workplaces are failing us. And until those things change, there's not much we can do other than try to manage our time more efficiently. And true as that all might be, I'm a clinical psychologist, academic and dedicated, though not natural, optimist who is obsessed with happiness science. So I went looking for ideas that worked for me in the scientific literature. And I found this very cool concept that I'm sure we'll talk about called work family enrichment. And then upon more deep diving, I found all sorts of science-backed ideas from creativity research to the science of rest to stress science and on and on that offered a guide on how to use our many demanding roles to thrive more and sometimes in really counterintuitive ways. And the result is this book. Wow. So like I mentioned, and it says right here in the title, you've got 12 science-backed strategies. So we're gonna dig into some of those strategies. But before we do that, I wanna talk about how parenthood can really rock your sense of identity. We end up wearing so many hats as parents, and sometimes we can't wear them all well. You know, not all hats look good on all people, right? <laughs> so talk a little bit about identity and, um, and just how it changes so much when you become a mom. It really does. I mean, if you think about it, we sort of accrue identities throughout our life. You know, when we're first born, we're just a child and then we become a friend and then we become a worker and a partner and then a parent. And it's kind of this additive thing. And the more identities that we have, the more complicated it gets. And conflict is one part of that. We're sort of torn between these roles. And what I argue is that conflict is inherent, but it's not a bad thing. And in fact, research shows that the more role obligations we have, the more protected is our well-being. And that doesn't mean that we evade conflict, but rather that conflict underlies good things. And I always like to refer to this wonderful book written by a Buddhist monk called Thich Nhat Hanh that's called No Mud, No Lotus. And what he writes is that out of the yucky, sticky, gross mud grows the most beautiful flower. And so that's kind of what we're trying to get at in what I'm trying to get at in this book is that 
the identity conflict that we naturally have when we're being pulled in all these different directions feels uncomfortable, but it can give rise to really terrific things if we know how to travel that road, how to navigate that tension. Yeah, I use the analogy a lot of I feel like sometimes I'm in the middle of the swimming pool and I'm swimming to all four corners at the same time. So I'm exerting all this energy, but I'm not actually going anywhere. And I feel like a lot of moms can relate to that. It's like, how do we channel? How can we be efficient with our time and and our energy instead of just like flailing around in the middle of the swimming pool? (laughs) And I'm sure you get this a lot. Totally. I mean, I experience it a lot. And I think that's where science really comes in handy because it really guides you in, you know, what are the best practices in parenting? What are the best practices in work? What are the best practices in switching between roles? And where is it useful to let go a little bit? And I think using that science, we can sort of figure out like which direction in the pool we want to swim. I love that analogy and be more deliberate about it as opposed to just kind of flailing. So you've said that one of your major goals with this book is a mindset shift. And I think we are all willing and able to think about a mindset shift because we all want to be happier. We all want less overwhelm. So what what do we need to shift here? So mindsets are these overarching beliefs. And many parents are familiar with the idea of mindsets as they relate to learning in academic settings. So we think about fixed mindset as the belief that capacities are inborn and unchangeable, whereas growth mindset is the belief that where we start isn't where we end, so long as we can apply interest and effort. And I think the same thing goes for working parenthood, that we can have a fixed mindset or a growth mindset. And I call a fixed mindset in working parenthood a work-family conflict mindset. And that's this idea that we many of us buy into because it's so much of what we talk about in our modern conversation about working parenthood. And this it's this idea that work and parenthood necessarily conflict. It's sort of like finite. And, you know, if you're doing one, you're dropping the ball on the other. In contrast, a work-family enrichment mindset is more the growth mindset version that you can think about working parenthood, where we can really think about ways that we can use the tension between roles to our benefit, both for our actual roles, you know, doing better in work and parenting roles as a result of having both, and to be happier as adults navigating the world. And so that's sort of the mindset shift that I'm really hoping that people take away from this book is that we don't have to sort of drop into conflict. We can actually shift into a growth mindset, an enrichment mindset about working parenthood. I like that. And on this show, we've talked a lot about comparison too. And the working parent, you can't compare yourself to the non-working parent, you know? Something like Halloween that just happened, right? And you've got parents who, moms who are creating and crafting these beautiful costumes and elaborate, you know, snacks for school. And then perhaps the working parent is getting something on Amazon and praying that it comes (laughs) for Halloween. Comparison is not going to do us any favors. And in a world of social media where we're constantly seeing what everyone else is doing, it's, it's very hurtful. Totally. Yeah, I think it's so hard to avoid comparison exactly for the reason that you're saying is that we're sort of always being confronted with these images of how other parents are doing it. And in fact, I mean, comparing is actually something that's wired into our human brains. It's something that we do to sort of engage with people and to know where we stand in the social group. So there's no way to avoid it. But what we can do, and this is what psychological practices teach us, is to get clear on what we want to stand for, to sort of like to notice, you know, what we're comparing against and to ask ourselves, is that informative for what's important for me? 
And then at the end of the day to really unhook and really connect to what do I want to stand for as a parent? What matters most to my family? What matters most for my job? And to recognize that, you know, that tendency to compare isn't going to go away, but we can sort of quiet it by focusing on other things, most importantly, what we value. Hey, if you like mom to mom and you're a fan of The Hub today, you've got to sign up for our new newsletter. It's called The Hubbub, and it is delivered directly to your inbox every Wednesday morning. We've got great mom to mom content on there, recipes, and all kinds of cool stuff. So all you have to do to sign up is go to NBCBoston.com slash newsletters and click on The Hubbub. So right before the break, we were talking about values and how important it is to identify the values of our family um, and make sure that how we're operating is in alignment with the values that we find important. So how can we how can we do that? (laughs) So values clarification is a core process in an evidence based treatment that I practice, which is called acceptance and commitment therapy. And values work is probably my favorite part of the treatment because I find it so helpful. So just to kind of set a baseline, most people confront at some point in their life a choice that has no good options. And working parents probably confront this like on a daily basis. Like, do you attend to your work task or do you attend to your kids? It's There's no good option because both things need all of your attention. And values are helpful because they help you to identify a pathway that isn't about right or wrong. It's not about feeling good. It's not about logic because there are some things you really can't logic your way through. How values are defined is also different than goals. Goals are sort of the destination, whereas values are how you get there. They describe a quality of action. So for example, if you're climbing a mountain, you can decide that the quality of action is going to be going as fast as you can and getting a really good workout. Or you can decide it's going to be to go slowly and take the journey and really appreciate the sights and smells and the sounds. And your values can change moment to moment. So if the weather changes and you were planning to have a good workout, you may switch your value to protecting your safety and you know f- go down the mountain or, or find shelter somewhere. So this is really helpful in working parenthood where things are constantly changing around us. So if you have a work deadline, you might decide to prioritize being very persistent in your work ethic and allow your kids to be more independent while you take care of that task. Or if your kid is sick, you may shift to prioritizing your kid's welfare and letting your boss know that unfortunately you're not going to be able to complete the assignment on time. So knowing how you want to show up moment to moment can help. But an important point is it doesn't undo the fact that making those kinds of choices is uncomfortable. So your boss being annoyed that you're not getting your task done on time is uncomfortable. Your kids being disappointed that you're not going to show up for their school play is heartbreaking. But the point of values is that if you're clear on why you want to show up in a given way and what it is that you want to stand for, it helps to give you the confidence and the clarity to transcend the discomfort because you're, you know that you're doing something that matters deeply to you. And we can set values for ourselves and we can also set values, identify and connect with values as a family as well. Okay. And then that leads to guilt for me. Right. So let's say we're climbing that mountain and that mountain is something at work and we decide like that's what's important because that's what it has to be. How do you avoid then feeling guilty in the other areas, which is then maybe you weren't able to be 100 percent at home? I mean, to me, another analogy, because I am my father's daughter and he's an analogy guy. I feel like it's a leaky bucket and I plug one hole and I'm like, okay, great. And then another hole spouts out and then you plug that one and then another one. It's like, it's a never ending thing. So I want to address guilt 
because the mom guilt, it is so real. It is so real. Oh, it's so real. It is so real. So I'm really glad that you're bringing it up because this is such an omnipresent issue for most parents, especially moms. So what I want to first say, and this is such a psychologist thing to say, is that all emotions are useful. There's no wrong emotions. And guilt, too, is a useful emotion. It's from like a functional perspective. It's wired in to help us to protect our relationships, either from anticipated harm or harm that's actually been done. But in modern life, guilt, like many emotions, can be a signal that doesn't carry as helpful information as it once did. So guilt in pre-modern times helped us keep our kids safe. It helped us stay inside of our communities. It helped us, you know, protect people that we loved from predators. But nowadays, we don't need guilt as much to keep our kids safe. In fact, guilt can cause us to show up in ways as parents that are the opposite of helpful, as in your kids won't be in mortal danger if you don't chaperone their field trip and actually might have a really nice independence growing experience if you approach it as an opportunity for them and you. So what I recommend for people with respect to guilt is see it as information. So notice it, like be willing to kind of acknowledge it and explore it with curiosity and kind of ask yourself, what information is it providing you about protecting relationships? And if it's helpful, right, to tell you to attend to a work task or a colleague or your kids, then act on it. And if it feels like it's causing you to hover and not be present in whatever role you're in, in a way that is really problematic in a, in a more longstanding way, then that's a time for you to kind of let it go and focus on coming back to the present. The other thing that I talk a lot about in the book is uh, using science to help us understand what kind of parenting is good parenting and what kind of work is good work. And what we know from science is that when we hover too much, when we show up for everything, that's actually not good for our kids. So really understanding that it can be helpful to not be available to them and seeing that as an opportunity for them and for you, for them to build independence and creativity and good problem solving. And the same thing goes with work, that taking time away from work and dropping the ball on tasks gives you a chance to recharge so long as you're not mired in guilt. Yeah. So, so I think just understanding that guilt wants us to do better, but that sometimes it can interfere. And so knowing when to act on it versus when to kind of turn your attention elsewhere. I like what you're saying there because then it feels intentional and it feels like we are back in control and we're saying, no, it's actually good for me to take a step back and for you to do this independently and as opposed to, I just can't make it. Uh, it feels really good to feel like you have some power and control. Um, so one of the things you talk about in your book is it takes a village. And this is something I say all the time. It's become very cliche to say it takes a village when you're a parent, but there is some actual science that backs this up. So talk about how important this is. I, I love the concept of it takes a village and I love that there is science backing it up. So there's this anthropological term called alloparenting, which is just a fancy way of describing the care for kids that is provided by non-parents. And research from evolutionary psychology and anthropology really indicate that we are wired to rear kids with a lot of alloparental help, with a lot of non-parent help. And the reality is it's good for us to have that support because the village teaches us how to parent, teaches us, you know, when we're interfering. I mean, I know, for example, that a lot of moms don't 
you know, have a hard time learning how to nurse, right? The village can help you learn how to nurse. The village can help you teach your kids, uh, learn how to teach your kids to sleep through the night, um, help you manage your teenagers when they're going through the really difficult phases. So the village is good for us as parents, and it also helps us to conserve energy to do other things that are good for our family, like making an income and being able to shelter and feed our kids. The village is also good for our kids, right? It's good for kids to learn to to learn from other caregivers, to learn how to relate to other people that are outside of the family, to get a sense of independence because they're not under your watch. And so in that way, the village offers both parents and kids all sorts of growth opportunities. And so what I think a lot of working parents feel is that they should be able to do it on their own. And they're actually uh, failing their kids because they're not there all the time. And I think this is part of the mindset shift is to see that one of the benefits of working parenthood is that it kind of pushes you to install more helpers. And that isn't a failure at all. It's actually a gift for you and your kids. It's delegating. <laughs> yes. Yes. I have a, a subsection in my book called delegate to break, Love it. to take a break. And I think that delegating is so good for everybody. I think we often feel guilty, but that is something we should feel really good about because it actually helps us to do the things that we do do more successfully. And if you out there take anything from this today, it is ask for the help because the village isn't just going to show up on your doorstep. You've got to ask for help, which is so hard for so many of us, myself included. We just have such a hard time with asking. It's so hard. And I think you have to be really deliberate about building the village. And I think that, you know, because in modern life, people move around and they're not living near family, it can be hard to connect to people who could be a part of your village. And so unfortunately, that is something I mean, we'd like it to just be automatic, but it is something to build, but it, it will come back in spades if you build it. Hey, if you like mom to mom and you're a fan of The Hub today, you've got to sign up for our new newsletter. It's called The Hubbub, and it is delivered directly to your inbox every Wednesday morning. We've got great mom to mom content on there, recipes, and all kinds of cool stuff. So all you have to do to sign up is go to NBCBoston.com slash newsletters and click on The Hubbub. For the break, I was talking about how I can get a little ragey and we actually did an entire episode on mom rage and I was so happy to know that I wasn't alone. Um, but if I were to peel back the onion, the rage comes after a period of major overwhelm or almost like stimulation overload. I don't know if that's a thing too, where I'm like making dinner and things are noisy and the kids are talking and asking for a million different things. And then all of a sudden I explode. And so if you have any tips for kind of like managing those emotions, because then I get guilty for how I acted. So it's just this whole tangled web. <laughs> well, I can relate. And I used to have a lot of mom rage myself and tips from psychology are quite helpful. I, I swear to God, I use all of these things in my day to day life. And it really does help me manage things a lot more skillfully and calmly and I will say one thing, which is that anger, rage is, again, an emotion that is really helpful for us, right? If things are unjust or going badly and we're feeling helpless or hopeless, rage kind of helps to activate us. And so, Maria, as you're describing, if you're feeling really overwhelmed and spent and depleted, rage can sort of 
prompt you to say like, this isn't right. I need more help. I need a break. And so in that way, rage kind of pushes us to install some of the things that we might really be needing to be more functional in our lives. Um, and, but one of the things that you're kind of pointing to is that when we sort of act on rage, we often feel a lot of shame after. So it's sort of, it can feel like a spiral because you aren't getting what you need. You feel really angry and then you feel really ashamed and then you don't want to act, ask for what you need because you feel so badly for how you behaved. And so one of the ways that you can interrupt that cycle is a practice called self-compassion. And this is a, a practice that it sounds very simple, but it's a, it can be more complicated. Not It's not complicated, but it's simple, but not easy. Um, it's a practice of pausing and allowing for whatever the feeling is, sending yourself some self-kindness and connecting to common humanity. So those are the three components. So when you're feeling that rage build, pausing, and noticing what is it that you're experiencing, allowing yourself to kind of get in touch with that, sending yourself the kind of self-kindness that you would offer a dear friend, another mom friend who was going through something similar. And those are things that we have a hard time saying to ourselves. So practicing that, like you're practicing a new language, um, you know, I'm so sorry, you, you've had a lot on your plate. This is too much for anybody. Of course you would kind of fall apart. And then connecting to common humanity, recognizing that parents all over the world lose their mind and drop the ball and that you're not alone can really help. And when we tap into self practices of self-compassion, it sort of allows us to pause and regroup and then come back to what we talked about earlier, which is connect to our values. So if there is something that's missing in your life that you're really needing, whether it's more support or a break or, you know, just like a vent session with a friend then we can sort of connect to that and figure out how to get more of that. And I'll just share an experience that, you know, my most recent rage episode, I came home from a long day at work. My husband said something that annoyed me and I lost it. And because I've been practicing this for a while, I went upstairs, I shut the door and I just sort of like took a moment and said, I'm, I'm really not good right now. Like I'm not good to be around my family. I'm not good to, I'm not going to be a good parent. And so what I did was I took myself to a movie and, you know, I was lucky because my husband was here to take care of the kids, but I just, I needed to like regroup and be away from anybody that was going to ask me for anything. And it was really helpful. I was able to come back. And I realized after that, that I was really exhausted. I'd had an exhausting work week and parenting week, and I really needed to regroup and, and sleep a little bit more. Good so, you. you know, when we pause and give ourselves some compassion, it can really help us to get back to being the kind of parent or worker that we most want to be. It's that pause that's so important, but that takes practice, like you said. So pause, but it'll come with practice. Um, because, yeah, yeah, the power I is in the right practice. To spouting off like the hot little Sicilian that I am. Um, but you hit the nail on the head about what this show is all about and the work that you do too. People all over the world are losing their minds. Parents everywhere are feeling the way we are. And we just want you to know you're not alone. So thank you so much for being here. We could have gone on and on and on. Um, please let everyone know where they can find your book and then where they can find, you know, follow you on the socials. <laughs> on the social. Um, the book can be purchased wherever you buy books and I can be found. I'm a podcast co-host, so you can find me every week on Psychologists Off the Clock. And I am active on Twitter and LinkedIn, uh, Dr. Yael Schoenbrunn. 
And remember to all of you, you can follow along with mom to mom episodes wherever you listen to your podcast. We made it super easy for you. All you have to do is scan the QR code that you see here on the screen. It'll take you right where you need to go and you can binge while you're like, picking up from soccer or whatever it is. Um, so thank you all for being here this morning. I'll be back here tomorrow morning for a brand new episode of The Hub Today. Bye, everybody.